This here is Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of UnkView. We're still working on catchphrases. Um, Brennan's got some really great ideas. I, I really like he came up with worst podcast you've ever not listened to. I, I, I preferred worst podcast you've listened to. I didn't want <laughs> it to be that negative. But anyway, we're working on catchphrases. If you have any ideas, throw them our way. And in keeping with our promise, our commitment, our, uh, dare I say, our obligation to our listener. Yes, that was singular. Um, we don't rehearse anything. We don't, in, in fact, today we took, we took our lack of preparation to a new low or high, depending upon your perspective. We don't even and, know what we're going to talk about. We don't even know. Well, we have yeah, no, I don't Brendan even know has, how, I have no idea. Yeah, Brendan, my, my uncle is about to ambush me like a, like a journalist right. waiting in the bushes. He's about to ambush like me C- with something. Like a CNN journalist accompanying an FBI raid. I think our <laughs> catchphrase should be four more years <laughs> of this nonsense. Well, that implies that there were years preceding that, which I think is a bit of an exaggeration. So maybe just four years. Four years. How about four years? Yeah, four years. So, uh, so we really haven't discussed what we're going to do on this show at all, which is – I think maybe a first that we've we've had very brief conversations in advance of shows, which of course manifest in the low quality output that we pride ourselves on giving you. Yeah, that month that in you and guys love, that you guys love crushing up and 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 just mainlining that low that exactly. low quality unk view, uncut unk view. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's no, it's cut. It's cut with a lot of like rat poison. We experimented with that, but anyway, enough about chemistry. We'll go into our breaking bag, our breaking bad uh, segue at some point. Uh, soon what we're going to do today and i'm actually i actually haven't even fully thought this out completely as i'm about to say it so again i want you to appreciate just how unprepared we really are so the idea is this i'm going to just ambush in fact didn't you just say the word ambush yeah i said i yeah man you're i'm just waiting for it that's weird because that was actually the term that i had coined in my head about mm, 120 seconds ago as, as i was formulating this I'm just going to ambush you with a thought or, right. or whatever. whatever. Whatever I say, I'm just going to throw it at you. I just want you to react honestly and organically as you always do, and we'll see if this has any entertainment value or not. Not that it matters because that's never been one of our priorities. But here's the thing. So here, here's, I'm going to throw this at you, and you have, you, know, you have a basis for an opinion on this because you've done it. So here's my opinion or here's my thought. So I, I've done um, something like, I don't know, I don't know the actual number over 600 yoga classes in the last three years. And about, I don't know, uh, this is January. So I want to say sometime in the middle of September, I quit yoga. And I did that for a variety of reasons. One was because I just had another thing going on in my life that was, you know, taking up a ton of time that was really stepping on my ability to go to yoga. Mm. And, but, but even more importantly than that, there was a, there was a spiritual disjunct that I had with yoga and I know I'm talking a lot, Brendan. I'm going to stop and let you reply at, at length, so just bear with me. Sure. Um, so if, if you've ever done yoga, uh, and, and I'm sure it's not all the same, but I've gone to a couple different places, and it, it, where I've gone, it has been similar in that there's this spiritual element to it. You know, there's the exercise part, yeah. but then there's always this, you know, all this other stuff that yeah. surrounds it. And, and, then, and then even beyond that, there's a culture that exists within a yoga 
studio where, you know, you, you're always spending time before classes, waiting for the class to start, waiting for a class to get out so you can go into the room to do the yoga. So you're constantly interfacing with these other people that are there to do yoga. Yeah. And then you go into the class. And, and so, you know, there's this very, very specific culture that gets created within that context. And so the, the various places that I've gone have all had a similar culture, which I think is sort of the stereotypically classic yoga culture. Yeah. And I don't even know what, what, what spiritualism, is it Buddhism? I don't know what it is, but basically. Uh, yeah, I don't That's a good question. I think it's Hinduism. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. I think it is Hinduism. But whatever it is, it, it's something that over the course of time just sort of graded on me because I just don't believe. You know, I have very specific spiritual beliefs, and I didn't bring this topic up so that I could discuss those things. I'm just saying what I believe in is Christianity, and Christianity and that are not the same. Sure. And so, and, and, and be clear, I'm not saying there's something wrong with, you know, with whatever that, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever it is, I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. Yeah. I'm just saying that for me, spiritually, I, I can only be one thing. I can sure. only believe in one set of thoughts or principles. Yeah. And it's what triggered this. What triggered this was a friend of mine who also goes to the same studio, just called me up one day out of the blue and said, hey, I've been meaning to ask you this question. I'm just curious because I know how, you know, I know how spiritual you are. Um, how do you reconcile the spiritual beliefs that you hold with what you experience when you go to that studio? Yeah, that's a good and, question. And we had a long conversation. And at the end of it, I was kind of disturbed because basically, and he was very, you know, he was very subtle. He was very gracious. He wasn't like, you know, calling me a hypocrite or anything. He was just genuinely curious. And so at the end of that call, I hung up and it just started nagging me because I'd already had those thoughts on my own. And the fact that he brought them up, just, you know, shown a magnifying glass on that whole thing. Yeah. And so for me, for me, uh, that was really one of the reasons I just wanted to get away from that conflict because every time and where this manifests most is when the classes start and when they end, like there's five minutes or not, I mean, that's not a set number, but generally speaking, there's an intro to the class where you're just kind of laying there in some, you know, very comfortable position. And the instructor is just saying some stuff. Yeah. And oftentimes it relates to this, you know, oh, just we're one with the universe. And it's, it's kind of like I, just generic, like, yeah, they, yeah like, I go to is. yoga all the time. And depending on the instructor, sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes the instructors just come in and go, thanks for yeah coming to practice and here's what we're going to do today. If you have an intention, let's think about it. And sometimes they come in and they talk about like, you know, our, our yogic training tells us that we are actually resonating with the universe at any given time. And like, and it's some like kind of generic yeah. bullshit. Like, and I, I hate to yeah. say that it's bullshit because my girlfriend, you know, I mean, Gloria teaches yoga, yeah. but I talk with her about this a lot where I'm like, it, it, people start talking about this stuff and it takes me right out of the class. Cause I'm like, there's no like you don't know this you don't know any of this crap like where did this even come from like they can't cite any source that they're like it's just this generic new agey abstraction and like everything is one and we're all vibrations and energy and like things like that it's just it, there's something about it where it, it just doesn't it feels like it doesn't relate to any real thing in your real life and like you know i mean like yoga is in the tradition of this thing in in um in China called Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G, Qigong, and it, it, it means moving meditation. So it's the same thing, like Tai Chi is Qigong, um, different bits of Kung Fu are like Qigong, yoga is Qigong. 
it's all the same kind of idea, which is that you're you're moving your body, you're keeping your body healthy, but you're meditating while you're doing it. That's that's the idea. There's two types of meditation. One is just sitting on the floor. Uh, the other one is moving. And so there's something about that where it's like, yeah, there's like a spiritual element to it, I guess, in the sense that like, you know, prayer is a form of meditation. It's a very specific form of meditation. But like there's something about a person inserting that exact like that generic not tied to anything fucking granola whole foods uh spiritualism that's yeah. really i just there's something about it that it really leaves a bad taste in my mouth and the more sensitive you become to that the less tolerant i've become to having any it's difficult for me sometimes i mean like i've never left a class or anything but i've definitely been in a class where somebody's like let's think about how we're all you know we're all resonating we're all one with each other and in my mind i'm like i'm not one with harvey weinstein like fuck that guy right <laughs> i don't have anything to do right. with that guy you're, like, well you're you're way worse you're way worse <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so you, 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 you've launched into your response clearly. And I didn't know, you know, uh, I really didn't know that this was your perspective. And I, I find it very interesting because I, I can't say I'm surprised that you feel the way that you do. I'm not. Um, but I really didn't know. I mean, it was a part of me because you are from a different generation yeah. and there are, you know, there are many, there are many beliefs and, you know, philosophies and life principles that you're, your generation embraces that mine didn't and vice versa. And you've always been one who, you know, one of the things I really like and respect about you is that I, you know, I think you're your own person. I don't think you're, I mean, we're all influenced by culture. We're all influenced by peer pressure. All of us, even those who think we aren't. Yeah. But I would rate you as, you know, on a scale of say one to 10, where 10 is completely impervious to any influences of, of that nature and one is somebody that just goes with whatever they're told i consider you like an eight no. which is you know that's a, that's a big number i consider myself probably the same yeah an eight or a nine so um so i think i think you're somewhat impervious to those things so i find it interesting that you that you feel that way and same with me i've never left a class because of it but i have many times under my breath said something like yeah. i've actually said out loud so that I know at least the pe the people on either side of me heard me say it. Like I I've said, shut the fuck. Oh my up. God. Yeah. I've like, done oh that too. God, shut I, up. I've done that too. Like there's a, it's just so, it's so insane. Like there's two things, there's two things that came to mind. One is that when, when I'm sitting there, like the, the worst time for me is, it's either the beginning of class or right at or the, the end, end of class. The end. Yeah. And especially at the end of class when a teacher is like, uh, let's rambling. Yeah, just rambling about like it, the n let's all sit sit up and uh, let's do an om an om together. Let's do a and and even I shouldn't even complain about doing an om. This is when everybody in class goes om at the same time. That's I've never not, had that happen. That's not even that bad. I've had that happen more a few times, and sometimes it's actually kind of nice. Like I don't think it means anything. It's just everybody makes this noise and then you kind of feel like, wow, that was like an end of class. But sometimes it's this just like there's just like this drippy heaviness put on it where they're like, yeah, let's let's, you know, let's bow to third eye center in namaste. The love in me recognizes the love in you. And there's like this whole oh, thing yeah. about it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, this is just like the, the, I don't know if you do this, but a lot of yoga classes I go to practice getting into like fetal pose at the end of class, and they're like right after you do savasana, yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, let's get into Correct. fetal pose. Correct. I never do Correct. that. I feel really weird about doing that every time I do it. 
I'm like I and so okay. I don't do it anymore. There's something about that whole that, experience that just feels that weird, weird and uncomfortable. So, to me. That is, dude, this is really weird because I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I never do that either, and it's always a part of the class. That that yeah. is always the end. It's shavasana, which for those who've never done yoga, shavasana just means you're basically laying flat on your back with your with your feet sort of pointed at the corners of your mat. So your legs are slightly spread and your arms are sort of at your side and just like a, you know, you're just laying on your back. Yeah. And then as Brennan just said, they typically ask you to go into the fetal pose where you turn on your side in a fetal position. And that's the last thing that you do. And then they tell you to sit up and then they go into some, you know, spiel about the, the, the whatever in me recognizes the whatever in you, but it's so weird because I never, I mean, I probably did it, you know, like the first 20 times I was in a class and then I just stopped because it, yeah, it just felt weird to me. Mm. Plus it's actually an awkward physical move. Like when you go from a fetal position to sitting up, yeah. there's something about that transition that's just not comfortable for me. Yeah. It actually hurts my back a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that's so, so this was, this actually, uh, this, this entire segment, I don't know what to think of it because we're in such lockstep that no spark. Well, here's 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 what I think. Let me let me let me toss this out here because I've thought a lot about this actually because I this has been really yeah because you thought a lot about this. Gloria and I talk about this all the time because she also hates instructors who do this kind of shit. Like, and the worst. And if you missed it, if you missed it, if you missed it uh, a few minutes ago, Brendan said Gloria teaches. Gloria is his longtime partner, and she is a yoga instructor and. If you ever if you ever met her or if you ever meet her, you'll see that she just looks the part. She's yeah. in great shape. She looks like a yoga person, and that's a compliment. Yeah, she does. I mean, she'll do she'll she'll do more than one yoga class a day. She'll take one, and then she'll teach mostly more than one class a day. So she's she's at at a minimum she'll take one and then teach one like every day. And she's in like a really long term, very high level yoga instructor program right now even though she's already been through like five of them it's just like that's her passion that's what she does but she's also very she's also similar like there's something about there's something about that kind of thing that takes me out of class and makes me feel kind of weird and uncomfortable when someone is trying to force a spiritual experience on you it feels really fucking weird and uncomfortable and and it's not that i haven't had moments in yoga classes where i've been like wow i really feel like I'm losing my sense of self or I'm connected to something bigger than me. But like that hasn't, it hasn't been because an instructor has been like say namaste and imagine how we're all on the same vibration or, or whatever, you know, crap right. that they're saying. But, but here's the thing. So I talk, I've talked about this with her at length and this is going to get into, this is going to get esoteric, <clears throat> but I guess that's why you came to Ongfu that and the, uh, and racial slurs, but right. The, the well, so, not in that order, but not in that order, <laughs> not in that order. But like the so here's here's what I've what I think. So the if you have you ever heard of the Myers-Briggs MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type indicator personality test? Yeah, it's it's based on there's 16 types of combinations that any given person could be and whatever you are is unique to you. But one of the dimensions that they measure you on is what they call sensory versus intuitive. And what that means basically is that. Someone who's sensory is somebody who's going to need to read the directions. They're like, where are the directions? Let me take a look at them. Someone who's intuitive opens up the a box from Ikea and just goes, oh, I know how to put this together. And then they just start doing it. And they might not need the instructions. They just, they're fine. They're they're good to figure it out. Does that make sense? That's just the, the simplest explanation. Yeah. Yeah. But 
it up. There, the, the one level deeper than that that I just explained is that people who are intuitive uh, tend to read into things like much more than people who are sensory. So, you know, people who are uh, sensory who go see the movie, um, uh, I'm just, I guess I'm trying to think. Oh, so I just saw the movie Lucy in the Sky. So this is a, just really quickly, I'll use this as an explanation. It's about that astronaut who, that female astronaut who went crazy. She was having an affair with another astronaut and she drove from Houston to like Florida to like try to like kill this guy or something. This happened like a few years ago. And recently there was a movie made about it. And Natalie Portman played the um, the the woman who is the astronaut, the Lucy, who is her name. So here's the thing: a sensory person would watch that movie and think this is about an astronaut who went to space, came back, and now feels is going crazy because space messed with her mind in such a way that she can no longer cope with normal life. That's that's the sensory on its face reading of of the uh, of the movie mm-hmm. the intuitive reading okay. of the movie which is what i got when i watched it was this is about anybody this is a story of anyone who does anything and transcends reaches a place touches like what they call in the movie the face of god like goes into a place not necessarily space could be anything could be uh right. surfing could be it's yoga could be just a metaphor yeah yeah you get it immediately because i think you're an end type also but like, oh, I, I would be the same way as you. Yeah. So I got it immediately. I was like, oh, this is a great this is a great movie. Because the movie, if you just watched it for the plot, you're like, this isn't that great. Like it's fine, but it's not that great. But if you if you suddenly get what they're trying to say here, you're like, oh, this is this is I, I completely understand this. So let me bring this back <clears throat> to yoga. Most people, this is just the case, and Myers Briggs talks about it. And when I finally realized this, I was like, holy shit, this blew my mind wide open. About 60% or more of the people walking around are S-type people. So S-type people do not get the depth that some things are. They, 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 they don't understand the depth of things that are happening around them. And it's not because they can't see it. It's, it well, it's literally because they can't see it. It's not because they're choosing yeah. to ignore it. It's because they lit- it just doesn't show up on their radar. So right. that's why, like, like, I think you and I both have this experience sometimes of, like, I'm a really social person. I'm mostly an extrovert. But a lot of times I'll be in social situations and feel like I just can't, I don't feel like I belong here or something because most social situations are full of S-type people. And S-type people, what do they like? They just like hanging out. There's no, it's not about a conversation. It's not about, there's nothing happening. Right. They're just drinking and there and, and high-fiving. And that is the party yep. to them. And so Absolutely. those types of people, when they come to yoga classes, when they hear someone say, we're on a vibration and we're vibrating, that is the spiritual experience for them. Just having someone say that shit is the experience for them. And so, wow, for, yeah, I actually think that's the case. And for guys like me and you, I'm, I'm like, let me have my own goddamn experience. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because, and, and that's why I enjoy doing these podcasts with you so much because, you know... The, I don't really have a good analogy for this, but I'll make I'll try to make one up, which is sort of like I'm just I view what we do often as we're just pushing a, 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 a I don't even know what to call it a snowball or a a, a little red wagon or something pushing something down a hill, and neither of us has any idea where it's going to go at all, which is the beauty I I love of not planning. It's because stuff just always comes up like just now because what you said a second ago about Hanging out with people, hanging out is the experience. And 
there's not really necessarily any depth to it. There's no real meaning to it. There's no need for depth or meaning for most people. And it's funny because last night I was out having dinner at a place called E.G. Nick's, which I'm sure you know in downtown oh, yeah. Yep. And there's a table full of people like this really, you know, they, they put several tables together, the dreaded assembly of tables. Like is anything <laughs> oh, man, worse yeah. when you're in a restaurant? <laughs> and, and I was there with, with uh, my mom and this person that I'm seeing. And we're in this, if you know the place, there's in the entire place, there's one booth that is one of those like wrap around a corner type booth, you know, where like, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So we're in that booth, which is in this really private corner. It's like the best location in the place. There's nobody within several tables of us. It's very pleasant. There's not too much noise. And they start assembling the tables right like next to where I was. So anyway, (laughs) this group of people show up and I tried to figure out what it was. It was clearly a work gathering of men and there were i don't know how many people were at this table i'm going to say there were at least i'll say 12 to 14 which is a lot of people and they were all with one exception one woman all were men between i'll say the ages of uh, 35 and 55 i think they were home inspectors that was my guess <laughs> yeah so and why wait wait wait, wait 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 why what what would why <laughs> what about because homeless? i because well, well, uh, okay, I need to preface that because I own a real estate company. I've been selling real estate for 30 years, so I have a very keen insight into home the type of personality. And what you get is somebody who, you know, maybe if I had a substitute instead of that, I would have said uh, a carpenter. Oh, got it. Okay, okay, okay. You so know, these like, are uh, these are guys rough. who, they're wearing flannel, they got some beards, one of them's maybe yeah. dang- dangling a hard hat from his belt. <laughs> well, there, were no, there was no hard hat, but otherwise, yes. And they were, you know, they were manly men. And, you know, they were loud and they were drinking a lot and they just got out of control. And I was observing them for the better part of an hour. And I actually had thoughts similar to what you just said, which is what's weird about this, because I was thinking, like, these guys are having a great time. But what are they doing? I mean, they're just I mean, I guess they're I don't mean to suggest that there's no value in this basic social interaction, because I think there is. But, you know, at a certain point. You know, I, I need more than just being in the presence of another person and having small talk. Oh, yeah. I get bored very Com- easily. Completely. Yeah. And but these guys, I mean, I was listening to their various conversations because I couldn't I couldn't not listen. And I mean, it was just not, there was no depth to any of it. It was just all like surface, you know, personal. Like, I'm just not really interested in having personal conversations with people I don't know that well as opposed to having a conversation about an interesting topic or issue. Like I like talking about topics and you know, there's a famous saying, I don't even know who said it, but it goes, you know, uh, big people talk about issues and topics, medium sized people talk about things and small people talk about other people. Mm -hmm. That's not a correct reading of it, but you know, the expression I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I know that one, but I, I don't remember the details of that either. Well, the, all that all you need to get from it is the, the the last line, which is small people talk about other people. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I see all the time in life is, you know, I'm just standing in line at Starbucks or whatever, and there's you know two people standing in line ahead, and they're just talking about some other person. Yep. You know, some other person that they know. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just that that's the kind of thing that. I just don't have much interest in, and oh, I'm man. frequently in the presence oh, of people dude. who do that all the time. Dude, and it's like, 
yeah, I'm telling you, like the the L in Chicago, the fucking subway in New York, like it's all. And then she said, you know what she said? Because I told her, and then you know what she? I can't believe it because when oh, I told her this, oh my god! Then she and you're like, oh, oh my god, oh my god, dude, and. Like just all that, and it's not just. I shouldn't just do a, an impression of a woman talking about a woman because a lot of it is like, uh, you know, you you walk out of like I was just in New York this week, and um, you walk out of my apartment and there's all of these guys who hang out at this barber shop that's literally right next door, and they're all like these bros. We I came up with this this character called Sammy based on a guy who was at the deli around the corner. Um, and his, and Sammy, dude, he talks like this. So let me tell you something a little bit, Uncle Mike. Let me tell you something a little bit that you don't know about something, okay? Look, so I'm talking to Jimmy, right? Jimmy says something. Jimmy was talking to me, and that motherfucker, he talking. And you're like, what are you even saying, Jimmy? Like, your shit coming out your mouth. Like, you got to go back home, look in the mirror, okay? Get a little new get a new perspective on your life, bro. Because you're just saying this shit. You don't even know what you're saying. Like, all this those got that dude and ever since i came up with that character all of my friends are i'll get text messages and they're like hey man i ran into a sammy today <laughs> like because that guy everybody everybody in new york knows a fucking sammy every single person in new york knows a sammy on his block or her block probably a bunch yeah a probably bunch. a bunch he's just always trying to tell you about shit you don't know like yo bro did you buy that dollar slice you bought the slice for the one dollars let me tell you something about that dollar slice man that shit is delicious but if you try to eat more than one of those a day, forget it, man. You're going to die early. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, Sammy? No, bro, I'm just telling you. Uh, I'm not trying to say something. I'm just telling you. That's the other thing that they're, that Sammy will do. He'll tell, you that, he'll tell you that he didn't tell you something. He's not saying anything, but he's telling it to you. Like, what? What the yeah. fuck? Did you even? I'm not telling you what to do, son, but here's what you need to do. Now, let me tell you something right now. I'm not, I ain't telling you you need to do nothing, but if you don't do this, uh, you best be doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> what? What? Yeah, back back on point. Yeah, I mean the world is so full of those people that are like they're they're really genuinely interested in uh, those things. And again, I'm not suggesting that I'm not at all interested in them. It's just that for me, it is it is the minority of conversation that yeah. I have with people well, well, when well, I'm well, in control. That's what I'm why it's about. difficult to be an end type. So if you're listening to this, statistically, you don't exist. But if you're listening to this and you do exist, <laughs> then what you should know is that you uh, – and if you're relating to this, if you're like, man, you I really – You clearly clicked a few wrong buttons <laughs> on the web. You're in a dark place. You're surrounded by you're, – you're, you're clicking into dark places on the internet. Um, yes. So here's the th – no, but if you relate to this, then what you need to understand is that – that you are actually in the minority, that most people walk around and they do not feel those feelings. So like that, when I read that in Myers-Briggs, the, these types, the S types typically are called sentinel types. There's a handful of different personality types in the Myers-Briggs that are the majority of personalities, and, and many of them are S type based. So they're like ISTJ, um, ESTJ, uh, ESFP, like all these different types that just combinations of acronyms. And you can Google Myers-Briggs or go to 16personalities.com and take the test and you, you guys will see what I'm talking about. But the point of me saying this is like, once I read that, I suddenly went, oh, no wonder most of my life I felt like I don't belong. is because I'm like, literally, I'm in the minority, I'm I'm in the minority personality-wise in, in most conversations that I end up in. Turns out ENFP, which is the type that I am, is one of the, the rarest personality types 
in general and the most rare personality type for men, it turns out. that Really? Yeah. There are far fewer ENFP men than there are any other of the 16 personality types. And and that that and then I'm like, oh, no wonder I felt that way my whole life. Like it just explained that to me so quickly that I suddenly felt absolved of this of this strange feeling of like, why don't I fit in or how come I'm like, what do I have to what am I doing wrong? And it's like, oh, you're not doing anything wrong. You just are a type of person that there aren't very many of you. And that's why, like, I'll have these friends that I've been friends with for such a long time, guys that like you've met before, like Chuck Kovalik and and Joe Nelson and people like this. And it's because those, uh, those are the other rare personality types that my type gets along with really well. And, and just naturally, otherwise it feels like a lot of work. Like dating is a fucking nightmare. I learned for me. And, and it's, oh, and it's yeah. weird because, I, yeah, because, because most women who I will meet will have trouble understanding what I'm trying to say. Or, and here's the other flip side of what I've learned is that I'm too emotional for them um, which is like most women want to be the the, the personality uh, couple like model that we have in our minds for how a, a couple is supposed to be is oh the woman is emotional the man is stoic and I I'm yep. not that way I just am not and it doesn't mean that I'm like freaking out or I'm you know having like emotional problems it just means like I'm not afraid to tell you how I feel and I'll say it directly. And it, it right. and in and, and, and both ways, like when people hear that, they think I'm like talking about like, oh, I'm fucking pissed off at you, Gloria, or something like that. But more often than not, I'm just saying like, wow, I'm feeling so much love for you today. Like it's a, I just feel like it's I'm like overwhelmed by it. A lot of women, I think, can't actually handle that level of direct communication from men. And and I think I've scared women away in the past because I've told them really early. I'm like, wow, I'm just feeling a lot of feelings for you and we're on like a third date and they're like jesus christ this guy wants to get married and i didn't like i did i didn't have any designs on a commitment to the relationship it's just that you know they're 22 and they don't know how to deal with that type of communication because no man they've ever met before has done that this is so weird dude because again i didn't i mean i i'm not surprised by any of what you just said but we've never had this conversation before at all and and basically, I'm the exact freaking same. And I've yeah. had the exact same issues. And it's weird because the person that I'm seeing now, who I've been seeing for, I don't know, three or four years, um, <clears throat> we have this conversation openly because, you know, she's just a really straight ahead. I mean, it, really, this is my simplest explanation of it. She's the man in the relationship, and I'm the woman. Yeah, <laughs> and and it is just. I mean, and, and, and we we talk about this openly. I mean, we talk about it openly because sometimes she'll say to me directly, "Would you please just shut the fuck up? <laughs> like, do you do you ever not do you ever not talk? Do you ever not talk? Oh like, my god, that's can, so funny. Can we, can we just can we just I don't know? Can we watch this show right here that we're watching that you? Keep talking during. Could we just maybe you not talk for a minute? And oh I'm not God, offended. So I'm funny. not offended at all because yeah. because she's right. And it's funny because she she will tend toward. I don't want to say she's not talkative. She is talkative. But I mean, it's just a classic man and woman. But the roles are just reversed. Yeah. And and it's and it's interesting because I too have. I mean, I never really feel like I'm a part of anything. I really don't. And it's it's weird because this is something that 
has really come to the fore the older I've gotten. Like, I mean, and, and it's like it's increasing almost exponentially. In fact, last night at dinner, over the roar of the home inspectors at the next table. Really cutting loose, those home inspectors. Uh, yeah. Um, I, um, I said, I, mean, I, just, I just had this epiphany. And basically, we were, we were talking about, um, uh, I, I'll skip the, the intro to this, but basically I was talking about what it was like in my earliest memories of my childhood. And I grew up in a really small town in Indiana called Mooresville, which is located like 15 miles outside of Indianapolis. But it, me as say a six-year-old, it felt like I was 100 miles from civilization because, you know, nobody took me to the city ever or anything like that. But so I grew up in this little neighborhood and it was uh, on this uh, oval-shaped drive that was my entire social uh, you know, uh, universe. Yeah. That was your and whole world. Yeah. My whole world existed on this street. And you want to talk about just how the world has changed. I mean, it's crazy because I sat there last night at dinner and, you know, keep in mind, I moved away from there when I was 10 years old. So this is a while ago <laughs> that I'm talking about. And I was able, and my memory, I don't think is that good. I was able to go around the, I was able in my mind to go around that street and rattle off the names of the people that lived in in those houses. And I didn't do it with 100% accuracy, but I did it with probably 80% accuracy. And when I was done with it, I was stunned. Like, did I really remember that? But none of that's my point. Here's my point. So at age, let's say five or six, at age six, I had an established social network that consisted of not just the children that lived in those homes, but also their parents. Mm. So like, I, you know, I, I'm talking probably a good 40 to 50 people that I remembered specifically from being like six or seven or eight, whatever I was. Okay. And here's the punchline. I had more friends at age six than I do today. Mm. And when I say more, I mean by a by a crazy factor, by, by, I mean, like, by an order I, of magnitude. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like I let's say I had 40 friends then I have two or three now. Now, of course that depends on how you define a friend, but sure. I'm saying my definition for this conversation for purposes of what I'm saying now would be somebody that I see regularly and that I enjoy and that I spend, you know, some level of, you know, time with, and I have social interaction with, and it's just weird because I think at that age, you know, I wasn't fully formed. I was just a kid trying to figure out who I was and what life was about. And I was just going with the flow. And I had all these, you know, people that I was friends with. And I, was, I enjoyed their parents. Their parents stayed over at their house at night and spent the night, all the stuff that kids often do. And I, I fast forward to today and it's like, oh, my God, who do I talk to frequently? Yeah. I mean, it's a really, really small list. And I think that's just because, you know, the older you get, the more you know, you sort of like sharpen the hone of whatever the hell it is that you are. And so I look forward to, you know, it's interesting because again, I didn't know much of this about you and uh, it'll be interesting to see how you change over the years. Uh, if you go through a similar, you know, transition that I've gone through where I end up in a place where, I mean, this is going to sound really negative and dark. It isn't meant to, it's just meant to a simple statement of fact that I wake up one day and I like, you know, I go back through my email. Like, who have been, who have, who have I been communicating with? Okay, it's professional, professional, 
professional, professional, professional, professional, work, work, professional, professional. It's all work related. Yeah. There's almost nothing anywhere that's personal. Yeah. It's funny. I, I had the same thought uh, recently because I was I was thinking about it like um, probably my my best friend, William Batit, the third uh, who we've talked about. He's uh, he's also right. the, the co-author. Comedian. Yeah. Comedian, co-author of the book that I have coming out soon. Um that he just moved to France. He just moved to the south of France. He's going to be there for the next few months, and then he's moving to Aix-en-Provence, which is uh, the biggest city in Provence in the south of France. And then he's moving to Paris, and he's probably going to be gone for a year, probably nine months to a year. And just Why a similar, well, because I talked him into it. If I'm being totally honest, he um really yeah he wanted to move. <laughs> so he is a British citizen. Um, he is, he's honest to goodness. He's like the most interesting person. Uh, like he's a dude. This is true. He's, he's half Indian, half black, born in Britain, raised in Indonesia, but he's a U.S. citizen and he went to school in Texas. So he has a Texas accent. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. His dad is wow. from, his dad is a Vietnam veteran from St. Louis who became the general counsel to one of the largest petroleum companies on the planet. And his dad's black. His mom is from Indonesia. Um, they met in the UK, and his dad just knew as soon as he met his mom that he was like, "I have to marry this woman." And Bill, uh, Bill's had a very unique life. He was raised in Hong Kong, pardon me, not Indonesia, but his family's in Indonesia, and he, but he has a Texas, like a slight Texas accent because he finally went to finished high school and then went to college in Texas, and. It's just interesting. He he's lived in London. He went to the London. I think he went to the London School of Economics for a little while. And um, wow, yeah, he's he a really went there. he's a lawyer. He went to Kent. I met him when he he was doing comedy and going to Kent uh, College here in um, in Chicago. He's an intellectual property lawyer. Lawyer and um, he is currently an intellectual property lawyer. Yeah, he I wouldn't. He's not really practicing, but he has a JD and has passed the bar and knows quite a bit about it. But he hasn't practiced law before professionally. He's you know he's written a ton, he has seventy thousand followers on Quora. He and I wrote this book. He put together an online course uh, about frame. It's a frame control masterclass that I would encourage anybody. It, I it it would take the rest of this podcast to talk about what frame control is, but it's just it's a very important concept for lawyers and for negotiators and for comedians and for people who have to control a social interaction without uh, coercion, basically. Um, it's just a really important concept for those those things, and he created this very deep online course about it that he's releasing soon. So that's that's basically what he does. And um, anyway, uh, so you you convinced you convinced him to go to live in France? Yeah, because he was telling me he was like, I want to go back to. He goes, I'm tired of living in New York. Um, and and he had this philosophy where he was like, if you don't know why you should live in New York, then you shouldn't live in New York. It's just too expensive. There's too much going on. It's going to be – it's just too too ridiculous, all of this stuff. And so he ends up uh, saying he wants to move back to London, and what I convinced him of was why he should move to France. And, and just – I'm I, this is part of the reason why I moved back to France is I think that – it that culture forces you if you're someone like me or like him or probably like you uncle mike who you're the tool you use the most to navigate life is is language and you're yeah, you you can do, sure. you can convince people of things you can convince yourself of things you can you're you're you can explain things away you can navigate 
the difficult waters of social interaction through the use of language. And when you deprive yourself of that number one tool, you suddenly exist in an environment where you have to rely on other things that you've never had to rely on before. And that's, wow. that's part of what... That is, that is, dude, that is really, that is such a cool and original thought. Thanks, man. I, it's like it's like how it really like, is. It really it's is. Like, it's like how you know if you, like uh, blind people can listen to podcasts at six x speed and still comprehend what's being said. Like you're the you're it forces your brain to use parts of itself that you you don't never normally use in your daily life. And so and at least that's what I learned when I was in France. And you know, I mean, you have to learn the language. You have to communicate with people. I mean, like I had to my comp- I was working remotely when I was living in France in 2013 and my computer died. The one thing that I had to rely on for income died. And I, I and what do you do then? Like you just better learn how to go communicate with the people at the Apple store. The Apple store wouldn't give me another computer, nor would they fix it. I had to go to a third party and describe to them what the problem was in French, which I somehow did. And they were, and they gave me a replacement computer. I mean, like they were, you have to rely on the kindness of others. You have to like, you're suddenly in a different environment that you have to navigate differently. And you become a different person because the movement, you know, because actions become identity, you have to necessarily perform different actions. So you become a different person. You're just a different you. And so what I told Bill was, look, if you go back to London, you're going to be the same you as you were in London, you're just going to be, you're going to be different by a matter of degree. But if you go to France, you're going to become different by a matter of kind. And you're just going to become a different human. And when you come back, you'll, you'll, you'll be different. And so he bought into that hook, line and sinker and ended up moving over there. But the point that I was making, this is extremely circuitous, but like the way that the point that I was making was that once he left, I used to talk to him like two, sometimes three times a day on the phone because we were writing that book and just talking about all kinds of bullshit. We would record those conversations and we're going to, we're putting him, he has an online community that he sometimes releases parts of those conversations into as like, you know, valuable insight for, for, for people, depending on what we talk about. And so we would talk all the time and I suddenly didn't, I suddenly had like an hour or two of my day would like free up from these conversations I had with him. And I was like, shit, man, now what do I do? And I did the same thing you did. I started thinking about it and I'm like, fuck, I don't have, I've spent all of my social energy with this one relationship. (laughs) Like, I don't even know if I have a lot of friends outside of this guy. Like, so, so the last few weeks have been me reaching out to people who I know from the world of comedy who I see and being like, Hey, do you want to hang out or go see a movie or like anything? (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, well, going, going back to the primary thing, the primary, you know, the the whole primary uh, reason for suggesting that he do what he did. Like I said a minute ago, I think that's just really cool. That is, you know, it's just a really cool original thought on your part. And and how is he able to do that? I mean, is he is he independently wealthy? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, his dad was, you know, general counsel for the largest petroleum company on the planet yeah. for a while. He's, uh, yeah, he's got I heard a, he's I heard got you a ton say of that. money in the bank. Yeah, he's got. He can just. I mean, like he didn't really even have a job this last year in New York. He made a lot of money on Bitcoin, and uh, before it went bust, and he was like, "Yep, paid for my whole apartment for a year." basically like that that was basically wow. how that worked out yeah that's really cool so and when when did he embark upon this uh he left last friday 
a week ago today. Oh, okay. So it's just brand new. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that'll be really cool for you to, uh, you know, for you just to observe and because uh, I'm sure you're going to stay in contact with them just to see how that goes. Although the time change, the time difference probably throws a wrench into that a bit. Yeah, which I, I think is good, actually, because it forces him to not be able to communicate with anybody um, over here for a bunch of hours in the morning. And um, uh-huh. and and again, I mean, like his primary tool is is language and and speaking with people. And he would just go through his phone and just call all of his friends like one after the other. And there's a kind of like, I mean, I've been in that place too. And I there's a kind of way to avoid your own mind by engaging with others like that. And I think that this puts him in a place where he has to do it. It's, that's what I discovered when I was there. And you know, I think that I think that you're forced to confront thoughts that you can otherwise just kind of get away from and and sit with them and think like oh fuck this is what it's like to be be with myself and like do i even like who i am when i'm by myself like maybe you maybe part of the reason that you pursued being with people so so much and i'm not saying this specifically to him but just to me or to anybody listening is that yeah if, anyone yeah if you find yourself in this kind of position you, you you might ask yourself like maybe part of the reason you're pursuing trying to be with other people all the time is that you actually don't deep down you actually don't like yourself and maybe there's things that you need to think about or accept in yourself and like i think that's part of the reason why why i had to hit the eject button um back in 2012 and move to france again for a while well, now you've opened up another massive can of worms that we really should explore um, on a different podcast because uh, I have um, I've been thinking a lot about introspection in general because I think I am I think I am unusually introspective to the point of it being maybe a negative. Mm. Um, uh, but but I think much like you said earlier in the context of people being sensory versus intuitive, and you said most people are sensory. I think that that similar principle applies to introspection. I think most people are not very introspect introspective. I think there's a, a a large percentage of the population that isn't introspective at all ever. Yep. Ever, ever. And I know I know I know a lot of these people because you know I I will observe their behavior and I'll think, how long have you been behaving like that in that in that specific context? Because yep. You know, there's certain people that just act certain ways in certain contexts. Like they get, you paint them into a corner and the only way they know how to deal with that is by coming out of that corner, swinging a chainsaw and a machete at you. And, and there there was not even, there was not even a nanosecond where they thought, Hmm, I wonder if there's any truth to what that person just said to me. No, it's just just a reaction. You're, you, you're attacking me. And, 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 you know, and, and again, I don't want to get up. I'm getting, I'm getting too esoteric here, but it's like, you know, there are certain people who just, if, if they even think you're saying something negative about them, even though you're really not, you're, you're, you're trying to constructively help them somehow, but they can't, they just can't handle that. They cannot handle the introduction of someone even implying that there's something wrong with them or that they could improve in some way. Um, whereas my, my way of handling that kind of exact scenario is my first thought, honestly, like if you were to criticize me, my first thought would be, I wonder if there's any truth to that. Yep. Like I, I'm not offended by it. I'm really not. I'm really, truly not. I'm really interested in um, understanding myself. I'm really interested in understanding why I do what I do. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that. 
which again, I'm not sure if that's healthy or not. That's not the point. The point is simply people who are introspective versus those who are not. And so, um, you know, you, you just brought up something. Your, your point. Your, yep. Well, let me finish my thought because I'm yep. going to forget it. Your point was simply people not wanting to be alone with themselves. And, that, and that's what you really meant. Yep. And so I, I think there's a really great conversation to be had there because we, we all know people who, you know, they can't be, they cannot be alone. They can't be alone. They literally have to be with another person physically. And if they're not, their phone is glued to their head. Oh, yeah, totally. There, there's, I mean, what percentage of the population is that? Uh, I think many. that's more than half. <laughs> many, yeah. I think that's a good 70%. I think that uh, there's there's something that you said uh, where you're saying you know you're 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 trying to like the you're trying to know yourself like that that is one of the oldest sayings in 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 the world know thyself and it's the first in the book yep. that I wrote with a bill uh, called the Power Bible you can get it on Amazon probably by the time this comes out um, that's the first thing we place in the book in the the preface of the book the first thing we place is the Greek uh letters um spelling out know thyself um it's the it's whatever that saying is in greek and i forget what it is but it's because the the entire concept of of having of having power all comes from having power over yourself first and knowing yourself is the only way to do that and and knowing how your wood cuts and the way that you the way that you interpret things naturally, the way that you take in criticism or the way that you're just all of that stuff is hot. You have to understand this about yourself. And the only way to get it is to have criticism, sometimes deeply uncomfortable criticism. And that doesn't mean it's bad criticism. Some really good right. criticism can be uncomfortable. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard. People say they, they find it difficult to take a compliment. That's you non-reacting or reacting poorly to accepting good criticism and it's because you have a sense of self and you don't want to change that because that sense of self has gotten you to this point and and, and it's helped you survive but in order to change and to 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 do you know maybe even grasp goals or 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 hit your you know level of success that you want in your life you're going to have to be a different you you cannot be the same you and reach that level of success. It's just going to force you. What got you here can't get you there. And so, you know, you have to be able to reflect on that kind of stuff. And most, I think you're right. I think most people can't do that. I think most people find it very difficult to to do that. But the people who who I've, you know, I mean, this last, the last couple of years have been really kind of amazing and nuts for me in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that I've learned now, you know, being able to navigate in circles that have people who are truly exceptionally successful. Um, one of the things I've learned from them is that they're really good at exactly what you just described. They can take feedback, they can process it. They can, they can not, you know, just take the feedback and not make any judgments about it, not be attached to it in any kind of way. Just take it, assess it. And then they can be patient and they can incorporate it into their lives and they're willing and flexible to do that in a way that people who I've, you know, who I know who are not so successful in many ways are unable to do. And that, that's just a trait that I've noticed that people who, you know, who are really kicking ass at life in whatever way that you think that means are able to do. Well, it's funny you say that because as you recall, uh, I was formerly, um, I co-founded a business with a guy named Stefan Swanepoel, who is 
without exaggeration, in my, I mean, this, it, it's an opinion, but it, it really isn't an opinion, is probably the highest profile and best known and most influential single individual in the entire North American real estate industry, if not the world's real estate industry. He's just a brilliant man, and it would take me forever to, to recount all the things this man has accomplished. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He has produced a film that he sold at the Cannes Film Festival for like a million bucks. And you have to understand prior to that, he had no filmmaking experience whatsoever. Yeah. He's produced music that has that has has charted in in South Africa, which is where he's from. Yeah. And this guy is just a dynamo. I've never met anybody like this guy. He is just incredible. He's just he's a guy who whatever he does, whatever he touches turns to gold. And so um, one of the most uh, one of the greatest qualities that this man possesses is he will he'll go into any situation. And uh, one, he never he never tells you who he is. He never tries to impress you. He de- I've never heard the man speak of any of his credentials himself once. I've never heard him say, oh, I wrote a New York Times bestselling book. I've never heard him say, you know, I've produced a movie that I sold at the Cannes film. I mean, he just doesn't talk about himself at all. One, I find that very interesting because to me that speaks of incredible self-confidence and security. You know, mm-hmm. just he's just confident in who he, he doesn't need to impress you. Secondly is, and this is more to the point, is that he'll walk into any situation and he will listen to anyone mm-hmm. and carefully mm-hmm. consider, like, you don't have to, like, you don't have to be credentialed for him to listen to you. And I discovered this early on because he and I have worked on a whole bunch of different things together. Um, we've co-authored a couple of different, you know, books and reports for the real estate industry and uh, helped them start a conference, which is now probably the number one real estate conference in America and a few other things of that magnitude. And in every context in which I've seen him, and I've seen him in a whole bunch of contexts, he's the same guy. And it's just like, okay, so, what are your thoughts? I'm going to listen to your thoughts, even though you may have accomplished nothing. I'm going to listen to you because you may have value. And, um, and I've even criticized him. Like I have literally, he and I have had, we had one, what I would call like real argument. And, um, I said some things to him that were pretty harsh. Yeah. And in, instead of reacting like most people would have in that situation, he actually just listened to it. And then he, I mean, I'm not going to say he just said, oh, you're right on all those points. But the point I'm making is he didn't react negatively. He didn't turn and attack me. He just listened to what I said and he considered it. And, you know, he sort of acknowledged a few of the things and maybe didn't acknowledge a couple of the others. But the point is he really thought about it. I mean, I know he thought I was just sitting across the table from him looking at him. So I could tell, you know, I could tell how how he was reacting. Mm. And, you know, to me, that's really impressive. Like, and and all that is to say, I agree with you. There's a, there's certain qualities and skills that you see in people that are really accomplished that are very, very basic skills, but yet the vast majority of the population just lacks those things. Mm-hmm. And to me, that being introspective, being introspective is right near the top of that list. It really is. But you know, who, a guy who I think is uh, really good along all the things I just said, I believe, not that I know the guy at all. But I mean, I've seen so much of them online that I feel like I do. Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, yeah. Like there's, you know, there's a guy who's constantly, you know, introspective 
and, you know, making observations about human behavior and, you know, how to deal with people, how to, how to run a business full of millennial employees, which, you know, is a business that he has currently, VaynerMedia, um, all these different things that I, I just find human behavior to me is just like the most fascinating topic there is. Oh, yeah. I just spend so much time thinking about it. You, people are people are are endlessly fascinating and why they make decisions in the way that they do and all of that it's man there's just a lot i i just think about how constantly i would be focused on that especially when i was younger because i could just never understand why people did anything yep. like why yep. anybody no, I, made any decisions well and to this day you know i'm you know, all these years later for me, uh, you know, if anything, I, my, those feelings are even more intensified than they were when I was younger because, you know, I, the, the part that confuses me the most about people is the degree to which emotions dictate their behavior. And, and, you know, I know we're, you know, we're emotional creatures. I get that. But I've always had an ability to separate my, you know, my emotions. I'm not saying that I've never made an emotion based on decision of or on a decision based on emotion. Of course I have. But very rarely. And usually if I get upset about something, I'm, you know, I think I'm. Uh, mature enough to like know that I need to calm down before I take any action. Like that's sort of, you know, that was a major step in my growth was getting to that place where, okay, I see I'm pissed off right now. I see I'm running on emotion. So I probably shouldn't say too much more. And I definitely shouldn't make any decisions until, you know, I mean, a rule that I came up with a long time ago is, you know, never reply to an email in anger Oh yeah, and, and what I my my rule is this, and it's just amazing how radical the difference is. One hundred percent of the time, here's my rule: I never reply to an email that angered me until the next day. Oh yeah, and just just that alone, it amazes me. I'll write the email when I'm pissed, then I'll come back to it the next morning at like five a.m. because I'm so anxious to send it, and uh, I'll read it, and I'll be like, oh my god. Yeah, I don't want to what? say any of these things. <laughs> yeah. What? That's I was the... going to send that? Dude, oh man, that is so... Uh, so I do that exact same thing too, uh, which is I'll write the email and then I'll leave it and then and then look at it again the next day. I think I probably do that because you probably told me about this. And uh, I've noticed the same exact thing. And it's funny because I got there's two things I want to talk... I just want to mention. And one is that um, I've, I've taken that kind of further to... I just... I just don't – I want to do everything – not everything, but I want to assess especially strategic things that I do in the most dispassionate way possible. And Absolutely. It's amazing to me how many people are, we got to get on that. We got to do that right now. We got to blah, blah, blah. And then I think, let's just take one day. Like if we, Because here's the thing. If you're in a situation in which someone is – I have a few rules. One is if you have to respond, you shouldn't respond. Like if somebody, if somebody's like, you have to do this, then I'm like, then we're not going to do it because I don't want to oh, be, I agree. In, oh, yeah, I don't want to yeah, be in I a totally situation. Agree. Yeah. I don't want to be in a situation in which I, ha I, that's it. There's a, there's a line from the book finite and infinite games that says, if you have to play, you cannot play. If someone has to play, they cannot play the game because there's no, there's, there's no conditions under which they can properly play the game if they are compelled to play. Um, I know that's super abstract, that may, but so is the book. No, actually, actually, it isn't. To me, it makes I totally understand it. Yeah, when you're when you're when you're, I mean, that's just a form of duress. And when you're when you're operating under duress, yeah, that's just wrong. I could tell a really interesting story about that. That somebody put a gun to my head one time professionally 
that was unbelievable. But I don't have time to go into it now. But I'll hopefully at some point I'll tell that story because they were very, very high profile public people who were running a business that later disintegrated. And this was the first time that I had any insight into this unsavory and unseemly behavior where basically I'd been negotiating with them for a year to join their company. And at the very last second, this condition was thrown on me where I had to make a decision literally in a single phone conversation where I had to commit to taking this course that cost $10,000. Oh yeah. I remember. I don't don't know the story. I don't know the story behind this, but yeah, I remember when this happened. Yeah. I mean, it was like, literally I'm on the phone with this person. Like, Oh, one more thing. Like we've negotiated everything else. One more thing. We need you to do this. And I'm like, okay, uh, wait, did, how much did you say that cost? 10 grand. You're telling me right now that I have to commit to this thing that I've done no research on. You, what? Yeah. It's, it's uh, it's nuts. And the, the amount of, and it's funny because the, the, the more, what I've learned is that people at the, like I said, like the highest level of success, the highest echelon of success that I know, they don't, they do not, they, they do not give deals like that to other people. But the people who are right below them, that's the shark tank. That's when those, that's yep. where those people swim. And they, and that's the kind of shit they will compel you to do. And you just have to not, and, and the skills you learn in that space are more of what to say no to and how to say no than it is anything else. But, um, yeah, I the agree. second, the second thing I was going to say, uh, which is a point that I've learned, and this is what is one of the things that informed why we wrote the power Bible actually is because I looked back at my early to mid twenties and really until I was about 28, like all the way into my late twenties, uh, I noticed this pattern of behavior that I had, which was that. I, I don't know if I'm bipolar. I don't know if I suffer from bipolar or depression or I mean, um, I know that bipolar kind of runs in the family that my dad's mom had bipolar disorder. And right. I'm not. Sh- yeah, I'm not sure if I do or not. I think that my dad regulates his, whatever that is for his system because he exercises a lot. And I, I do also, I think, plus alcohol. But, <laughs> you know, but. No, no, that's what you, you, you think that's a joke, but no, I, I think I have the same issues and that's exactly how I deal with them. I'm a, I'm a workoutaholic and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And you, you can, you can lose yourself. It works. Yeah, it works. It I, I works. think you can lose yourself in one or the other things. I'm right now, it's January and I'm on a kick of no drinking this month, which has been, uh, I do well, this every year. Stupid. I've done this for two years and I do it, I do it every year. All January is, is dry January. Um, and it, it's uh, it's it's the first week is difficult, and then into week two, it suddenly your body starts leveling off. But it it is actually difficult to do for the first week uh, for all kinds of reasons because you don't realize how much of your social life revolves around drinking until and and how many people just can't. You're like, yeah, sorry, I, I'm not drinking, and they're like, oh, what? And they have this like weird reaction, like, oh, I don't even know if we want you yep. around now. And you're like, yeah, well, I get it. Weird. When I'm drinking and, and somebody isn't drinking, it also feels weird to me. But anyway, um, where is this going? So one of the things I learned about myself, though, is that one of these behavior patterns that I have is that I will have a deep cloud of depression and d- dread, um, hopelessness, meaninglessness, nihilism, whatever you want to call it. It's like this fog that rolls in. 
and mm-hmm. it's like a st- the way that I've started thinking about it is like a storm. Actually, was I was at a prayer group years ago with my sister, and I was describing these feelings to people, and I said it's like a storm, it's like a typhoon, it's like a tornado. It just like comes in and fucking destroys everything. And uh, the guy who was the uh, pr- the um, pastor at my sister's wedding, um, uh, Pastor Shu, he said, "Look, well, if it's a storm, then why don't you just?" get in the basement just do what you do with a normal storm just get underground and wait until it passes and that was like a like it took me years to finally realize it but i went oh yeah that's right like when i'm walking around and having those feelings now i don't do anything i don't i just i just go oh this is a storm i just gotta batten down the hatches and not let this touch anything in my life until it goes away and so sometimes i'll go dark for like two or three days and people are like what the hell's going on and like i was supposed to go to a party uh a, a, a friend's birthday party actually in New York while I was over there and I just didn't go. And not only did I not go, I didn't even call to say I wasn't going. I just didn't go. I just, I just, one of these storms rolled through and I just decided I'm just battening down the hatches and I'm just going to s- stay home and watch a movie and go to bed. And that was it. And a couple of days later, I got a phone call from her and she was like, what was going on? And I explained it and she got it. She was like, oh yeah, no, I totally understand that. No need to feel bad. This happens to, to all of us and and I've learned that I do less damage in my life. I do I'm far more productive if I just let that roll through and not act on any of those feelings when they're coming through for a couple of days than I do if I start taking those seriously and start trying to make decisions based on those feelings. No, I think that's really wise. That's a sign of maturity and I I've never really thought of it that way, but that's a great analogy, a storm rolling through because I have similar things, although they typically don't last multiple days for me. Thank God. Typically, it's like there'll be one day, you know, where I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm just mad at the world and something goes wrong early in the day. And then I just make up my mind that today is fucking lost and terrible and awful. Yeah. And, you know, I start thinking really dark thoughts. And I oftentimes on those days, I will I literally like go to bed. I mean, I will go to bed at 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. or whatever. And, you know, lay there for an hour or two or sometimes longer. And then I get up and I don't really feel any better. And I feel awful because I laid down and my system just feels messed up. And, yeah, the thought that I've developed for those situations is just, uh, you know, this too shall pass, which is exactly the same thought as yours. Yeah. And and I just write it out. I write the storm out. Yeah. Yeah, I no, I couldn't. I just totally agree. I think that it's it's just the, the best thing you can do in that situation is just go, you know what, this is. Today's not my day. <laughs> and like yep. this is no. just not and and like my the thing that my mom used to tell me and this is like one of those bits of advice that like she told me when I was like 14 and it took me you know almost 20 years to actually recognize the wisdom in this is she just said do this just write down on a piece of paper what do I have to do so the boat won't sink and then write down those things and then just do those and then be done. And you don't have to apologize to anybody. Like, if they don't get it, they don't get it. I worked for a guy uh, years ago, my unofficial older brother, Rod Bowles. He doesn't have this issue. He can, He's a nonstop productivity machine. That guy sits down. He can work for 10 hours, no problem. He doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have cycles like this. I mean, he, I know he goes through his own shit, but it's not like me. It's not like, oh, I can't work today. It's like he's he's fine. He can just, he'll just keep going. And I would try to, at the time, describe to him this thing, and he would be like, well, I don't, you know, get over it, just move on, whatever. And I'm like, that doesn't work that way with me. I'm sorry, we're just built differently, yeah. you know? 
And I've, yeah. I've just learned in the last few years, I've gotten way more done than I've ever gotten done before because I just recognize, oh, if I just don't abandon the project and I don't start making shitty decisions because I'm depressed or or negative, then I, I'm not ruining the thing. It's like building a castle out of bricks and then you just go, ah, fuck this! And then like smash them down. <laughs> if you just, instead what? of using the fuck this energy to smash the bricks, if you just go, okay, I can't build the bricks anymore and then come back to it a couple of days later you're way further ahead because you didn't destroy the work you already did right and my my articulation of what you just said which i completely agree with is my articulation of that would be um i just i'm very careful when i'm in those states that i don't do anything that is overtly self-destructive or yeah. project destructive or just destructive just avoid being destructive like accept the fact that nothing positive is going to happen today just make sure nothing more negative happens today <laughs> just stop the bleeding stop the bleeding yeah i just stop did a bleeding. i just created an online course uh for cold emailing uh that i'm that you guys can check out on udemy or skillshare it's just called how to cold email the complete guide but one of the lessons i have in it is the first step to being good is is being not bad <laughs> Like if you just yeah, well, if you could just avoid being bad, you're you've won half the game. <laughs> well, you know it's funny because that opens the door to another whole series of things that you know that I've sort of discovered in my life in terms of uh, like success metrics or not metrics but success ideas. One would be this, and and my analogy for this is Madonna, Madonna mm, the singer. Mm, yeah, and and to me, and and somebody said this. I don't know if it was Woody Allen. I think it might have been Woody Allen. Who said like you know half the success is just showing up? Or oh yeah, something like that. Yeah, ninety percent of success that, is just showing up. Well, I think that's true. And you look at somebody like Madonna, and it's funny because I actually wrote a blog post about this years ago, and specific to real estate. But the gist of it uh, in the blog post and the gist of what I'm about to say is simply: uh, you look at Madonna, and she, no one, I mean, even her number one fan probably even that person would never say, oh, she's the most talented performer ever. I mean, she isn't. She's not a great singer. She's not a great dancer. I mean, I'm not saying she's terrible. And I, and you know, I'm, she's not the most beautiful, but she's not ugly. I think she's, you know, she's kind of attractive or was in her prime, certainly. Mm -hmm. But the point is, she just showed up. I mean, mm -hmm. she just showed up and just did this stuff. She just showed up and did the work. Yep. And, you know, and and now, now I'm taking this conversation too far out of bounds, but I, I that's just a powerful thought that it, that you know another epiphany that that I think is obvious in retrospect, but that I didn't have for the longest time, which is if you just do it, if you just do the thing, whatever the thing is, like for example, you look at Joe Rogan doing Joe Rogan's podcast, and again, I'm not suggesting he's not great at it. I think he's amazing at it. I think he's the best. But I think a big part of why he's so successful is. The guy just shows up and does it day after day after day after day. Consistency, the power of consistency. Oh, yeah. Is just, um, you know, that's, that's what can separate you from the masses in almost any context, in almost any genre, in almost any industry. It's like if you're just showing up and doing it and you're doing it relatively well, that alone will probably make you successful. Oh, yeah. Probably. It's better to do the thing than not do the thing. That's one of my... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you've heard me say that before. <laughs> Actually, I haven't. But let's conclude with this. I you probably haven't seen this, but ten minutes ago, I scanned and emailed you a photo of you as a baby being held by your. Oh, you thought you saw it. I just it just came in. Yeah. 
<laughs> I just... Okay, so ha- have a look at that because my mom, my mom um, presented me with this box of photos last night, and I went through it, and there was uh, this one. You know, you're probably too young to remember this, Brendan. Maybe not, but when people used to take photos with cameras and take them to photo developing stores, you get them back in these little packets yeah. that contain like 20 or 40 or whatever it was photos. And this particular one that my mom handed me on the on the cover of it, it says 1986 question mark Brendan dash baby Florida. So this is a, these are these are primarily pictures yeah. of you as a baby. And I found this one that I thought was the best, which is you looking, your dad's holding you and you're looking up at him and the look in your eyes is hilarious because your eyes are just <laughs> like, <laughs> why? Like you're yeah, what? yeah, like, what? what is that? Like you're looking at your dad and you're freaking out. What's that? Oh my God. How old do you think you are there? A oh, week? I've, yeah. I've a month? Maybe a month. Yeah. It's a tiny, I'm a I mean, tiny, yeah, I mean, tiny baby. <laughs> Tiny. We gotta and post this in the. A, we gotta post this video in the. Sh- or I mean, this video, this picture in the show notes, so everybody can see this too. Because it's just, it's. Oh yeah, it's yeah, a really pretty hilarious picture. Yeah, and there's a bunch more. Here's another one. Actually, this is even better. Here, it's kind of, it's kind of similar, but your head is back, like your, your head is back further, almost to a weird angle, and your mouth's open, and it's like you're. It's weird. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Right, I gotta see what um, comes in. But. Uh, I think we've probably talked long enough because I'm sure that our listener probably had to go we to work or something. We shot the bolt. To... Yeah, you're probably yeah. at work now. Slash, uh, we're laughing so hard. Have a good day, Larry. You got into a car accident. I hope that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, but, but as usual, we yep. had no we had no plan, and you'll, you'll have to be the judge because as to whether this was uh, worth the time that you invested to listen to. It. I hope it was. Uh, and uh, thank you guys so much. Why don't you sign us off? Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back again soon with another episode of Onk Few. Onk Fizzle. Onk Few. Later. Bye.